The first reading is from Jeremiah 38, verses 1 to 18, and this is the message version. From the dungeon to the palace, Shepatiah, son of Matan, Jedaliah, son of Peshur, Jekuel, son of Shel, Amiah, and Peshur, son of Malachiah, heard what Jeremiah was telling the people, namely, this is God's message. Whoever stays in this town will die, will be killed or starved to death, or get sick and die. But those who go over to the Babylonians will save their necks and live. And God's word, and God's sure word, this city is destined to fall to the army of the king of Babylon. He is going to take it over. These officials told the king, please kill this man. He's got to go. He's ruining the resolve of the soldiers who are still left in the city, as well as the people themselves, by spreading these words. This man isn't looking after the good of his people. He's trying to ruin us. King Zedekiah caved in. If you say so, go ahead, handle it in your way. You're too much for me. So they took Jeremiah and threw him into the cistern of Malkajiah, the king's son, that was in the courtyard of the palace guard. They lowered him down with ropes. There wasn't any water in the cistern, only mud. Jeremiah sank into the mud. Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a court official assigned to the royal palace, heard heard that they had thrown Jeremiah into the cistern. While the king was holding court in the Benjamin Gate, Ebed-Melech went immediately from the palace to the king and said, My master, O king, These men are committing a great crime in what they're doing, throwing Jeremiah the prophet into the cistern and leaving him there to starve. He's as good as dead. There isn't a scrap of bread left in the city. So the king ordered Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, get three men and pull Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. Ebed-Melech got three men and went to the palace wardrobe and got some scraps of old clothing, which they tied together and lowered down with ropes to Jeremiah in the cistern. Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian called down to Jeremiah, put these scraps of old clothing under your armpits and around the ropes. Jeremiah did what he said, and so they pulled Jeremiah up out of the cistern by the ropes, but he was still confined in the courtyard of the palace guard. Later, King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and had him brought to the third entrance of the temple of God. The king said to Jeremiah, I'm going to ask you something. Don't hold anything back from me. Jeremiah said, if I told you the whole truth, you'd kill me. And no no matter what I said, you wouldn't pay any attention anyway. Zedekiah swore to Jeremiah right there, but in secret. As sure as God lives, who gives us life, I won't kill you, nor will I turn you over to the men who are trying to kill you. So Jeremiah told Zedekiah, This is the message from God, God of the angel armies, the God of Israel. If you will turn yourself over to the generals of the king of Babylon, you will live. The city won't be burnt down, and your family will live. But if you don't turn yourself over to the generals of the king of Babylon, this city will go into the hands of the Chaldeans, and they'll burn it down, and don't for a minute think that there is any escape for you. Amen.
I'm reading from Luke chapter 13, verse 10 to 17, and it's about Jesus who healed uh, a crippled woman on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, and she couldn't straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and she praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead it out and give it water. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Thank you both. And I forgot about all the names as well. I did try and find the easiest one to read, um, but there was none that got rid of the names, sadly. Um, But I'm not talking about that one. I read all of that, and then, um, of course, I'm focusing on the Luke passage, um, Luke 13, 10 to 17, and this is what they're doing in junior church. That's why we're, that's why I'm doing it. Um, and it's, it's always quite hard doing the sermon after Easter Sunday, because it's like, well, you know the outcome. You know, you, you've just heard it the week before, the outcome of all these things. So it's, it's quite an interesting one to do. So I've got some slides. First one, nice and plain. So here we have Jesus in a synagogue. It doesn't actually say which synagogue. He's just in a synagogue, any synagogue, teaching. When he spies a crippled woman and he calls over to her, and he heals her. Now for me, what, one of the things that I do see um, about this is he calls over to this poor crippled woman. She's probably at the other end of the room. And he calls her to come to him. Poor thing. But, but what I think um, the difference is that quite a lot of healed people came to Jesus for healing. The people that wanted to be healed were usually right next to him. But this one, he had to actually call to himself. So I think that's an interesting point. She was at the synagogue, but we're not actually sure whether she's actually there for healing or whether she's just there in a normal routine. But Jesus spies her all the way across the room. Um, Can we get the picture of the crippled woman? Um, I have only seen a person this badly crippled once and that was in um, Malawi and I've not not seen it since Um, and it's it's just a 
it's an odd concept that you, you, your spine gets bent, that can get bent that badly that you can't stand up. Um, I know in this country that you can um, get um, different treatments for it. And that's, that's great that we live in a country that, that this doesn't have to be the outcome. But um, at those times and in other places in our world, that is, that is just what happens. So this woman is crippled over. And all she can see usually is about the floor. And then she can't usually often lift her head up any further. Sorry, you probably can't see me over there. <laughs> All right. But I don't really want to go into that much detail about the crippled woman. Because um, I know I could go into a lot about how we can be laden down with, with all our worries um, and, and, and feel like the crippled woman. But I want to kind of look past that obvious one, and look at the crippled man in this story. Um, I don't know if you spotted him. Anybody spot the crippled man? The crippled man is the leader of the synagogue. Next picture. Um, and this leader, the next one, he comes over and he is, if we get the next slide, indignant. I like that word, indignant. It's not happy at all. He comes over. Um, and do you notice, he's, he's not actually telling Jesus off. I've seen a lot, and you know, they say, oh, he's telling Jesus off. But actually, the wording of it, he's not actually to even, he's not even confronting Jesus that much. He's telling the poor woman off. Yeah, there's been quite a few that have read that it's like he's telling Jesus off, but it sounds to me more like he's saying the woman, it, she shouldn't have been there. She could have come at any other time of the week. But he is a crippled man. He is that crippled. He doesn't even realize that he's crippled. He's crippled with the religious laws. The religious laws have become so restrictive and such a burden on him that he can't focus on the miracle that's just happened right in front of his eyes. All he can think of, he's seen this woman who's been for 18 years bound looking at the floor. All he can focus on is that it's happened on a Sunday. Well, not on a Sunday, on the Sabbath. On the day that you shouldn't work he is that crippled. Is he mean? I don't know. He is definitely a wee bit short-sighted. Maybe afraid of change. And what is Jesus' response to him? The crippled man. Is he nice like he is to the woman? No. Can we get the next slide, please? He's quite um, in your face about it. You hypocrites. And what I quite like is that he's not just saying to the leader, that the person that's actually spoken out, he's not just picking on the one person. It's, it's to all of them that 
that might be thinking it as well. He's not just blaming it on the person that's spoken out. He's called them all hypocrites. Why? Because they've already bent the rules, most likely. Um, in, they've become so strict on what they can and cannot do on the Sabbath that even now it's become even more restrictive in the Jewish faith or it depends on which, which part but even in the, within the Orthodox Jewish faith they have designated streets or areas in their community wherein, and they actually put things up around their community so the barriers, almost barriers that you can't get past that within that area, you are allowed to push a pram. And out with that area, you're deemed working. It's deemed work. Um, they still can't carry mobile phones around on the Sabbath. This is all on the Sabbath. This, there's lots of things that, because it's deemed work, they can't do on the Sabbath. And they just make up, for me, they make more and more exceptions or more and more um, rules around it to just, that just restricts something that should be a day of joy. Um, I know for them it is important. But we need to watch that we don't get caught up in our own rules, our own traditions. Um, the Sunday morning service... Is it more valid because we come together on a Sunday morning? No. I know I've read quite a few places um, all over the the world, but there are some, um, especially some Islamic countries, that because their day of rest, the only day that they get off, is a Friday, they meet on a Friday. Um usually in secret as well. But is it, is it any different for them to have their, their service on a Friday instead of a Sunday? Any more valid to have it on a different day? I know there are quite a lot of people that feel that Sunday morning, especially Sunday morning, should be sacred because that's when you gather together. And I get that. It is a sacred time when people gather together to worship God. But when that time is, that's not really defined. What we need to do is gather together. It's not, the important bit isn't when, it's that we do it. People might have commitments, other things that they need to do. For whatever it is, whatever it is that those people do or that we need to do, we are not here to judge. We are not here to criticize. We are not here, well, we are here to love our neighbor. We are here to provide a place where we can all gather to worship. Whether that suddenly becomes that actually Sunday isn't the time that that we can do it. Sunday isn't available to us. We change to another time or day. 
So what happened to these leaders that have uh, been called hypocrites? How do they feel after being kind of caught out on the fact that actually no, they work themselves, they already themselves bend the rules? How do they feel? Next slide. They're a wee bit humiliated. They're put to shame. They're disgraced. Did Jesus intend to disrespect or embarrass the leaders? Was he just telling the truth? Jesus knew the consequences for healing that woman. He's already had the, um, the leaders already biting at his heels, nitpicking at everything that he does on a Sabbath. So he knew what was, what was likely to happen, that this was likely to cause a fuss. He knew it was going to happen, and yet he still did it. He still healed her. He could have, I'm sure he could have, maybe gone up to her and said, I'll speak to you later on could have but he didn't he healed her on the sabbath why maybe it was not just to heal her but maybe to be a teaching point that this synagogue this sabbath was a place of healing a place of um being with god a place of wonder any day of the week, but especially Sabbaths. But I don't think Jesus was rebelling just for the sake of it. He knew it was the right thing to do. Jeremiah, here's where it comes in. Jeremiah, poor guy, he had a message that he needed to give to the king. And he knew he was not going to be popular for saying this message. He knew he wasn't. But he said it. And what happened? He gets thrown into the cistern. But when he gets out and he's asked to say the message again, does the message change? Nope. He still says what he's pretty sure that's already put him in the cistern. He still says it again. Because he knows that that's the message God wants to give to them. He knows what is right. And that's why I had to give you the whole, the whole story. So thank you for reading it so well. And of course, we remember St. George. He did the right thing. He was brave. And what I quite liked when I was doing this sermon, um, I was doing it because we use, try and use the salt material um, the same way and I thought how am I going to link the two because at first I just kept seeing the message of the crippled woman and I kept thinking that and then and I don't know much about St George strangely enough um, and I, I was just like how am I going to put them both together and it was just like you know you just read it and you just think wow some things, just God just brings them together to give the right to, to show the same message. And it's, it's just amazing. 
I think, that God can do that. He can just tie in weaves that you don't think are going to fit together, and they do. So my challenge to you is to be like Jesus, to be like Jeremiah, to be like St. George, and stand up for what is right. Next slide. Got a few slogans there, and then it's not important that you... Um, which one you read or if you read them all. But they need to be all. Um, we all need to focus on the bit that's in the middle, though. The bit, love thy neighbour. There is no excuse for rudeness in our standing up and speaking out. We are to love our neighbour and if you want to know who our neighbour is, all you have to do is look um, at chapter 10, verse 25. Who our neighbour is. Our neighbour is not just the people that we like. It is often the people that we are standing up and speaking out against. So anything that we do, any way that we stand up and speak out, has to be surrounded in love. Love for our God and love for our neighbour. We are going to sing as a response. And this song is called Give Me a Heart of Compassion. Uh, and just think about the words of this one. And it's just a response to, to be like Jesus and Jeremiah. Can we be those people standing up for the weak, standing up for the helpless. And then the next song we're going to sing is the new one, Oceans. So if you don't know it, you can just look at the words. And the reason why I wanted it was because the words fit so well for me with the theme of today, of standing up and having that, that faith that can keep us. It's called oceans because it's having that faith that keeps us up even though the waves are battering against us. So having that strong faith. So we'll sing our first song in response. <laughs> 